Singe, Singe, Zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. Do you know that Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times? I feel like that's been this entire millennium so far. Welcome to the 60th episode of Artipus. If I was married to Artipus, this would be our diamond anniversary. I'm waiting. Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus kicks off our fifth season with a look at the 100th anniversary of the Bauhaus and a look at what's to come for the year ahead. Of course, the phrase, may you live in interesting times, is supposed to sound like a blessing. But the true message is wishing someone a turbulent and chaotic life. You probably already knew that, but I had to explain it to you because I'm still integrating into German culture. Explaining an idiomatic phrase is German integration level 5. Explaining a joke is German integration level 9. It's like that other famous Chinese proverb, if you can't beat them, join them. It turns out, if you do a little digging, this famous curse is not actually Chinese. There's no equivalent expression in Chinese, although the basic premise can be found in this quote from the German philosopher Hegel. The story of the world's history is not grounded in happiness. The periods of happiness are empty pages in it. In other words, peace makes for uninteresting times. This year, the architecture and design world, especially in Germany, is celebrating 100 years of the Bauhaus, the school founded by the architect Walter Gropius in 1919 and that has influenced pretty much everything in our modern lives today, from the pencils you use, if you still use pencils, to modern skyscraper design, to affordable, mass-produced, molded furniture, <coughs> to the fonts we use to social housing, and expanded into ideas of the body as architecture, the physical ideal, and even current models for body mapping and CGI. Pretty impressive for a school of applied arts that didn't even stay open for 20 years. The Bauhaus was famously shut down by the Nazi party in 1933, and part of its legacy is the idea of art and design triumphing over politics. Just the kind of legacy that interesting times need. You've seen Bauhaus design before. You've seen it in glass and steel skyscrapers, you've seen it in the clean lines of metal tube furniture, and you've seen it in the primary colors and bold graphics of vintage textiles and modern, mass-produced, affordable furniture and graphic posters. You've even seen it in corporate branding, an early concept from the Bauhaus. And you've seen it in your Mac PowerBook, an iPhone, and in most Apple products. 
It's the combination of form and function. You know it when you see it, touch it, use it. An item, a phone, a stapler, or even a font, is not only easy and reliable to use, but also pleasing to look at and touch thanks to its simple, clean lines, orderly and uncluttered. In fact, it's not just pleasing, it's calming. In the aftermath of World War I, Europe was reeling from social instability, rising inflation, and political chaos. Famine and several widespread epidemics during the war contributed to creating the over one million refugees who suddenly needed shelter, food, and jobs. The fall of the four major empires, along with an injection of industrialization and new technologies developed during the war, caused a general, continent-wide anxiety about the future. But, as the Chinese say, war isn't about who's right, it's about who's left. So in 1919, the world needed reassurance. The German architect Walter Gropius was appointed to take over a new applied arts school, the merger of two former art schools under the new Weimar leadership. Gropius proclaimed his goal was to create a new guild of craftsmen without the class distinctions which raise an arrogant barrier between craftsmen and artists. Although born into an upper-class family himself, Gropius found art academies in the art world to be elitist and exclusive, and trade schools to be brutish. He was after a kind of social equilibrium, embracing what he believed to be the new world order of the machine age, where class distinctions were erased, and every person would be encouraged to take up tools and build their own futures. The idea was to make typography, tools, furniture, buildings aesthetically pleasing but not complicated, easy to use, and affordable. Calming. When you're standing on the threshold of immense political, economic, and technological change, do you leap with both feet into the future, even if it's unknown, even if it means it might change you? Or do you hold on to your old ways, the familiar, the traditional, the stuff you've always identified with? Tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. That wasn't Chinese. That was David Bowie. Actually, that was a meme I found on Instagram attributed to David Bowie. Anyway, the answer is the first one. Because otherwise, Hitler. So Walter Gropius started the Bauhaus and recruited some of the most respected artists, designers, thinkers, and later architects to teach his vision of form marrying function. Vasily Kandinsky, Oskar Schlemmer, Paul Klee, Mies van der Rohe, Laszlo Molinagi are some of the most well-known names associated with the Bauhaus movement. The school was a combination classroom, workshop, laboratory, and factory, producing theory, practices, and products that are still being used today. Over the course of the school's brief history, it struggled from lack of funding and, eventually, from the changing political landscape sweeping across Germany. Hitler's National Socialist Party found the forward-thinking, modernist Bauhaus to be such a direct threat that it outlawed its artistic output, its typographic output, and finally, the school itself. In 1933, after hosting a grand total of 1,250 students and 35 faculty over the course of its brief 14 years, the school was finally shut down for good. But the spirit of the Bauhaus wasn't. Its students and faculty dispersed around the world. To the U.S., where Gropius himself settled at Harvard, 
Former directors of the school, Nies van der Rohe and Molly Nagy, set up the new Bauhaus in Chicago. To Tel Aviv, where former student Arya Sharon was instrumental in creating The White City, the largest collection of Bauhaus buildings in the world. And with bringing the Bauhaus to West Africa, where he designed the Ife University campus in Nigeria. One of the things that is so beloved about the Bauhaus movement is that it lived on and flourished not only in spite of the Nazis, but because of them. Their favorite storyline is that if the Nazis had either embraced the Bauhaus school or simply ignored it, it probably would have ended up on one of Hegel's blank pages of history. But because it was forcibly shut down and its adherents dispersed under threat, the Nazis helped plant the seed of modernism, the very principles they were against, into history itself. It's a story of the good not only triumphing over evil, but giving it the finger as well. Or, as the Chinese say, the best laid plans of mice and men. Okay, that was Robert Burns. I like Bauhaus architecture and design, personally. I like clean geometric lines and symmetry. I like glass and steel and concrete. And I like the monuments to human progress and innovation. But what really interests me about the Bauhaus is why. Why was Walter Gropius, after serving as a sergeant in World War I and being awarded the Iron Cross, back when it meant something, he confided to a friend, so interested in social equality, mass production, the future, and marrying form to function? And I'm interested in the deep influence that the Bauhaus has had on our Western society since the school's founding 100 years ago. Was it actually a positive influence? I've mentioned this before in articles, that the Israeli architect Steve Hecker is critical of forms of urbanist architecture, including the Bauhaus. He claims the 20th century drive of the futurists, nationalists, Zionists, communists, fascists, supremacists, to purify our own species has driven architecture and new technologies to produce glass-walled buildings and open pathways that puts the improved humans on display and under surveillance. All data is available all the time to those who see themselves as guardians of the human race. <coughs> Mark Zuckerberg. Because the other question for me in the Bauhaus is the human form. The body as architecture, the body as tool, the body as art form. Where does the body belong in the Bauhaus architecture? The director of theater arts for almost the entire history of the school was the painter Oskar Schlemmer, who played with the human form in terms of geometric representation rectangles for necks, inverted triangles for upper torsos, and often gender-neutral and deracinated masks for faces. Idealized forms that transcended individual identity in many ways, as mass-produced as one of Mies van der Rohe's famous Vasily chairs. Was that what Walter Gropius and the Bauhaus intended? The Orwellian dystopia of erased individuality in favor of the Ubermensch and a utopian modern city? And did their attempts to embrace modernity backfire in the same vein as the Nazis' attempts to stop it? Or is it like what Hegel said, what we learn from history is that we do not learn from history? In this year's journey through art with Artipus, I'll be exploring the human body in art as represented, interpreted, and turned into art, both visual and performative. I'm talking about the body politic, body artistic, body electric, and following those story threads wherever they lead me, whether it's back to the Bauhaus and body ideals, or forward into body modification and digitization, avatars and AI, and our current ability, or not, to embrace the future and all the bodies in it. Join me as we head into Season 5 of Artipus and explore the body electric. 
I think 2019 is going to be an interesting year. Just hopefully not Chinese interesting. You can find programming in both German and English for all of this year's Bauhaus events and celebrations throughout Germany, including a grand tour of modernism, at the Bauhaus 100 website. That's www.bauhaus100.com. Music featured in this episode is the track Prologue from the album Irradiated Hamster Alert by Blue Alatar, also known as Liam Taylor. You can download the whole album and listen to more of Liam's music at blueallatar.bandcamp.com. Track used with permission of the artist. Artipus is produced in Berlin for Zynga Network, and you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify under Zynga Network. Just search for S-I-N-G-E Network. Artipus is also broadcast in France exclusively on World Radio Paris. WRP on your DAB dial. I'm Susie Colick, and you've been listening to Artipus, art you can hear. You've been listening to Artipus. Produced and edited in Berlin by Susie Kollek, with original theme music by Hotlegs, for the Zynga Network, S-I-N-G-E-Network.com.